Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. If you got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25. And we're going to key in on Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and the tension that he's going to be facing in our story. And it says this, picking it up in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear his son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the birth of Jesus, there's already conflict, there's already tension, and we're going to look at how Joseph, in the middle of this mess right here, responds and ultimately obeys God and gives way for Jesus to be born. I think he's a great example for us when we face crisis, when we face trials, there is a way that we should respond that honors God and glorifies God even in hard times. Amen? And so we're going to get into it, and I hope that it challenges us. It it helps us be more like Jesus in our lives. So let's pray. If you're taking notes, by the way, uh, the title is The Right Thing Isn't Always the Best Thing. The right thing isn't always the best thing. Let's pray and ask God to be with us in this moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that your presence is here. We thank you for this incredible service, all the kids that came up and sang with us. We thank you for our kids' ministry that provides a way for them to have fun and learn about Jesus. Uh, God, we thank you for this service. We thank you for everybody in this service. God, we know that nobody is here by accident. God, there's no coincidences in the room. God, everybody in this room today has a plan and a purpose from you. And God, it's plans to prosper us, not to harm us. It's to bless us, to help us. And I just pray today, God, for those of you, uh, for those that didn't know you, Jesus, they don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. They they walked into this place and know that you love them and you're for them and you want to change their life for the better. And that there is hope in you that they will never find in this world. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. To name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, one of the medical miracles of our modern world has to be general anesthesia. Think about that. Think about if you were born hundreds of years ago and you needed to have a surgery or a procedure done and there was no anesthesia. It'd be the worst day of your entire life. But now we are blessed that if we're going to have a surgery or some sort of procedure, we get anesthesia and literally we wake up and everything's done. We've been, we've been taken care of. We, we, weren't, we didn't have to bother the doctor. He did what he had to do in peace and we can go out about our day. And this is what I learned about general anesthesia. One of the things that it does is it keeps our body from doing the right thing. 
Our body is meant to respond to pain by avoiding it, right? We don't enjoy pain. If you do, praying for you, that's, that's great for you. But our pain receptors tell us to, to literally wince at pain, to recoil at the source of pain. Like if you are not a fan of shots, what do you do? You like try to hide your shoulder. You don't want to get shot because that's what your body's receptors are doing. And so general anesthesia makes it possible for the doctor to do the work that needs to be done while we're sleeping. Otherwise, we'd get in the way. And so in other words, when it comes to surgery or having a procedure that is going to have you be in excruciating pain, having your body do the right thing isn't necessarily the best thing. See, in our passage, Joseph got a, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. And this is something that God rarely does in scripture and only happens a handful of times. But there's a common theme every time God shows up in a dream. And it is this. He is like a doctor giving general anesthesia, incapacitating the person so they will not get in the way of his ultimate perfect plan. See, the problem we find here in Matthew is that just because something is right in our eyes, it doesn't mean it's right in God's plan. Doesn't mean it's what God has for us. It doesn't mean that's his best plan. It doesn't mean we're necessarily walking in the way God has for us. And in our lives, there's going to be moments where we're going to make decisions and we're going to make choices and they're going to feel like the right thing. But in reality, it might be that we're getting in God's way of giving us his best that we are hindering God's best in our lives because we think we are doing the right thing. Let me explain. Providing and working for our families is the right thing, right? I put food on the table for my children. I provide for my wife. I, I take care of my home. But if working and providing gets in the way of actually building my home and spending time with my kids, is it the right thing? Having dreams and ambitions is a right thing to have. But what if attaining my dream or achieving the goals in my life get me away from God, get me away from his church, get me away from community? Think about relationships. God wants all of us to have relationships, especially in marriage. And so dating is the right thing to do. But what if our dating gets us in a relationship that isn't honoring God? Or is it somebody that has like-minded values, like-minded vision for their life? What about community? Like I said, God wants us to be in relationship, in community, but sometimes community is not perfect. We know that. You're going to get backstabbed. You're going to have betrayal. There's going to be drama. There's going to be gossip. And the right thing you think you're going to need to do to cut off from somebody giving you drama is to revenge or retaliate. But what that creates is bitterness and unforgiveness. And is it really the right thing to do? And the scenarios can go on and on and on. And when we think about making decisions in our lives for our family, for our business, for our children, before we think about decisions and choices, before we force things because we really want this job or we really want this school or we really need this money, so we're not going to go to God, we're going to try to force things. Before we do that, let's remember what Romans 12 2 says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, if we do this, you will learn to know God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Our plans, doesn't matter how skilled or smart we are, will never be good, pleasing, and perfect. Because they're not going to be God's best. And if we force things and if we try to make things happen in our own strength because we're trying to do the right things and force things and take matters into our own hands, we could be missing out on God's good, pleasing, and perfect plan for our business, for our family, for our marriages, for our dreams, for our ambitions. 
You see, the right thing will always be doing things God's way. The right thing will always be doing it God's way. What do I mean? Is that before I make a decision, am I opening up myself for the Holy Spirit to speak to me before I make this critical decision in my life? Or because I'm excited, or because I can't wait, or because I'm desperate, I do something that might jeopardize God's best for my life. Am I, am I well versed in the word of God that if certain situations come up in my life, I don't react in my own strength. I don't react in my own sin, but I react how Jesus would react and make sure I honor him, even though what I'm going through is difficult. Because sometimes doing the right thing will get in the way of God doing his best. And that's the conflict of our story. What does Joseph think he's doing when he's going to divorce Mary quietly? He's thinking he's going to do the right thing. I'm not going to shame her. I'm not going to embarrass her. So I'll just divorce her quietly. But here's what Joseph doesn't realize. That his right choice, his right thing, is jeopardizing the salvation of humanity. Literally, standing in the way of our sins and humanity being saved forever by the birth of Jesus. And if we look at Joseph's story, can we all agree? He's in a pretty complex situation. He is in a weird place Because our story doesn't start in Matthew. It actually starts in Luke. What happens in the the gospel of Luke is that an angel appears to Mary and tells Mary, hey, you're going to have a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's a virgin, but she's going to have a baby. How is that even happening? And the angel's like, do not fear. He's going to be Jesus. He's going to say the world's going to be, don't worry. Do not fear. And she does that alone. It's her and the angel. Then Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house, who's also pregnant with John the Baptist, and, and, and she's not with Joseph. She is alone. And then the Bible tells us in Luke 156 that she stays with Elizabeth for three months alone without Joseph. And so now we come to Matthew, and we are discovering, and Joseph's discovering, that she is pregnant. Like, like How? Like, like, think about if you're engaged to somebody and they're like, hey, I'm going to spend uh, three months with my uh, cousin in South Beach and uh, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fine. And then she comes back pregnant. And you're like, how did this, like, how did this happen? Well, uh, uh, an angel said the Holy Spirit, like, wait, wait, angel, like an angel or a couple motor named angel, like who, like, like this doesn't make any sense. How can you be pregnant? Like Joseph must have been like, listen, I'm a man of God. And I haven't touched this woman. How is she pregnant? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is going on? And, and we laugh about it. But here's the thing. This is a problem. Like this is a life or death situation that Mary and Joseph are in. Because Joseph and Mary are betrothed to each other. And that is not a game in the Jewish culture. Literally, there is essentially three steps to marriage in Jewish culture and obviously you start with the engagement and this would happen with the bride and groom when they're very young the parents would put them together and then there is a betrothal uh, uh, place where in their marriage where literally they'd be engaged and then for a year they'd be betrothed and they would literally be considered man and wife husband and wife they're not married officially but they would be seen as that and the only way to end a betrothal is to do a divorce even though they're married that's how serious it was and then they would get married after a year of the betrothal So here is Joseph and Mary committed to be married to each other, betrothed to each other, been dreaming and envisioning their life together and kids one day and having a home and and living their dreams. And here they are. Joseph finds out that the woman that he loves has had an affair, has cheated on him, has, has committed adultery. And now he has a decision to make. And here's the thing. He's got options. 
And, and he has to choose between these options. What is the right thing to do? And the options he had, he can legally expose Mary to public shame. Legally, he had every right to literally send Mary out from his home, or not from his home, but send him out of the relationship and say, hey, this woman cheated on me. She's an adulterer. Shame her. And, and it could lead to her being stoned to death and the child dying. And Joseph had every right by the law to do that. Another option was divorce her quietly. Or the third option, to marry her. Now imagine being in Joseph's shoes and making the decisions he has to make. But think about it. The Bible says he was a just man. He was a righteous man. You're not telling me, I bet you Joseph was working his butt off to provide for Mary, to prepare for the home, to prepare for their marriage, to, to love on her, to treat her right. I'm sure he had dreams and aspirations. I'm sure he envisioned the perfect home and was buying furniture and what they were going together and doing stuff. Like they were in that season of like, this is awesome. I'm excited to get married. This is incredible. And then like a slap in the face, the girl that he loves is pregnant and it's not his. And it's like, Dreams, hopes, plans out the window, crushed, crashing down, over with. Everything he envisioned, everything he had lined up, everything he had hoped for, done. And I think this is where a lot of us can relate to Joseph. We can relate because a lot of us have things planned up in our life. We line up things for our family, for our dreams, our business, our schools, whatever, our, our hopes. And our, like we, we have all these ambitions, all these things we want to do. I want to have a good marriage. I want to have a good business. I want to I I make sure that I'm a good, whatever it is, skillful in my craft. I want to do all these things. And we prepare, we plan, we make sure everything, all our ducks are in a row. And I got all things together and I'm in control and everything is good to go. But then life happens. And then life happens and you're like, whoa, I, this is not what I expected. This is not what I was ready for. This is not part of the plan. This is not part of my life. This is not what I envisioned. This is not what I foresaw. This is not what is supposed to happen, but it does happen because life is life and sin is sin and things are going to happen. How do we move forward? Joseph is in a position where this is not what I envisioned, but, but maybe like Joseph, what if we're missing out on God doing something behind the scenes? We're so focused on how bad everything is, how, how wrongly we've been, uh, how wrongly right now the situation we are in. And, but what if God is trying to set something up? Like what if God is trying to do something better for us? What if God was actually trying to protect you from something that's going to harm you in your future? Because here's the thing. I don't know how God does it. I don't know why God does certain things, but we will never get into his mind. Look what it says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. It says, my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We will never know what God is doing behind the scenes. We will never know why God does the things that he does, and that's okay because I don't need to know all that. What I need to know that whatever he's doing is going to be good. That whatever he's doing is going to be better than I can do in my own strength. That he loves my wife more than me. He loves my kids more than me. He loves my business more than me. He loves my own salvation more than me. That he was willing to send his son Jesus to die for me. His plans are good. God doesn't have bad plans. God doesn't do bad things. He does not do bad things to you. Bad things happen, but good comes out of it because of God. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for we know for those who love God, all things, all things, bad, the, the horrible things, the ugly things, the pain, the stress, all those things work together for good if those who are called according to his purpose. 
You can bet even when you're going through it, even when you're in pain and life is hitting you at all corners and you got some news that you didn't want and you got told some things that you didn't want to hear, guess what? There's good coming your way because that's what the Bible tells us and that's who God is. Bad may be happening to you, but good is on the way. What I believe we hear from this story, the main message is that sometimes God doesn't meet our expectations because he wants to exceed them. We all have expectations of what our life's supposed to look like, what our dreams are supposed to look like, what our everyday's supposed to look like, and God's saying, I can do one better. But sometimes it's not going to be an easy way to that. God wants to give us and bless us and make sure we are taken care of, but things are going to happen that he will allow in order for us to exceed the plans that we have and to see that he is worthy to be trust. He is worthy to put faith in. If it was easy, we don't need God. Anybody can do that. But if it's hard, I depend on him more than ever before. And what I pray that when we look back on our lives and we were this close about making the wrong decision or we were this close to, to letting our emotions drive us to do something that we know we shouldn't have done, we can look back and we can see that his plan was and is, will always be the best plan of all. Trust him. Stay in the fight. Don't give up. Don't be, don't be hasty. Don't be impatient. Make sure you know that God is working on your behalf. We may not understand it, but he's working on our behalf. And if we're going to be used greatly by God, if we're going to have great marriages, we're going to have great families, we're going to do things for Jesus that are going to change the world and change Miami, we have to know how to respond when trials come. Because there is a response to our trials. We can't just get, you know, Christians are not punching bags. We don't just take hits and hits. No, we have to respond in a godly fashion. And there's things from our text that Joseph does, I believe, are beautiful in how we should respond when life throws a wrench in our plans. When things don't go our way. When it's not how we envision. When it's not how we dreamed up. How do we respond? And the first thing in verse 20, it says this. But as he, Joseph, considered these things. So he made a decision, hey, I'm going to divorce her quietly. But then he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to consider. I'm going to think about this a little bit more. And a lot of us, we need to learn how to consider like Joseph. Joseph was understandably troubled by Mary's pregnancy, her future, and the decision he had to make. I believe, though he made the decision already to divorce her quietly, I believe that just something wasn't right in his heart. I just believe that there's something in him that, I don't know, I'm not under, I don't have peace. It's not all, I don't feel like God is in this. Let me consider but notice something. He didn't react. He reconsidered. Like there's a difference. Like I'm sure Joseph was angry. I'm sure Joseph was upset. I'm sure he was hurt. But those emotions didn't get a reaction out of him. He didn't do anything hasty. He didn't do anything crazy. He says, no, no, before I make a decision, I'm not going to react. I'm going to reconsider. I'm going to consider something again. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to keep it in my mind. I'm not going to just let my emotions take over. And the question is, when stuff happens in your life, trials, mistakes, curveballs, whatever it may be, how do we respond? How do we respond? Is it anger? Is it defiance? Is it revenge? Is it, is it, is it all these things that can build up in us and once something happens, it, it, we're like a ticking time bomb almost. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, surely what a man does when he's taken off his guard, is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go very suddenly. But the suddenness doesn't create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, suddenness of provocation does not make me ill-tempered. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. 
What is, what is happening to Joseph? What's happening to all of us in our trials? Crisis reveals character. Character is easy to do when everything's going great. But what happens in your life? You are put in a corner and you are facing adversity like no other. How do you respond? What kind of man are you? What kind of woman are you? What kind of follower of Jesus are you when things get tough? Because that is your real character. And I think sometimes God will allow crisis, God will allow turmoil in our lives to get stuff out of us that should not be in our hearts. Like, hey, you have an anger problem, so things are going to be put in your path until you fix that because I'm going to expose it because it's only hurting you. Every time somebody calls you out, you get defensive. And so guess what? I'm going to have more people get into your circle and make you more defensive until you realize they're trying to help you and not hurt you because God wants your character to be pure. And sometimes it takes hard things in our life to get the right character. I'm not saying that that having a, a deadly disease is God trying to shape your character. We live in a broken world. Bad things happen. Sin is terrible. Sin is awful. And the byproduct of that is us getting sick in this broken world, our broken bodies. That's not, I'm not saying God gives people cancer to teach them a lesson. No. But because we live in a broken world that sometimes our bodies are going to be diseased, through that God can get something good out of it. Because you may not be healed on this side of earth, you'll be healed in heaven where there is no pain, there is no suffering. So do you want to be healed or do you want to be healed? And, and this is how God works, but our character has to be pure. You see, when we operate out of emotions instead of wisdom, you will always make a bad decision. Every single time. If we just hear something, someone says something to us, or we get told some news, or something at work just ticks us off and we react, we're probably going to make a bad decision. We're probably going to say something that shouldn't have been said. We're probably going to do something that should have been said. Or if we don't say it, it stays inside and festers up until one day it comes out. That's not what God wants for us. This is why look what it says in Psalm 4.4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. You know what we need to learn to do? We need to learn how to pause better. We need to learn how to pause. See, Miami is not a pause culture. Pause. It's like, pause, pause what? It's time to go. Yeah. I'm taking every red light. I don't care. We're, we're, we're getting to this party on time. But sometimes a pause can save your life. And I believe Joseph, he reconsidered and he paused. And there's power in pause. There's power in saying, before I say this, before I tweet this, before I post this, before I do this, I'm going to pause. And when you pause, you know what happens? You invite God's presence into your decision-making. Some of us, we love God, but he's not in our decision-making. We come to church, but he's not in our decision-making. And we need God in our, we need his presence. Because here's the thing, the moment we pause and stop talking, God gets to speak. God gets to say something. And guess what? This is what happens. The Bible says, what, is, what does the Holy Spirit do if we allow the Holy Spirit in? He produces self-control. A lot of us, we don't have self-control because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to be in our everyday life. Like every day, Holy Spirit, I wake up, help me make the right choices. Help me to be a good husband. Help me to be a good father. Help me to be a good friend. Like I need the Holy Spirit because I know my flaws and I know I'm a sinner. And so help me to reconsider things instead of reacting so I don't hurt somebody or hurt my own life. Learn how to pause. Joseph, he reconsidered, he falls asleep, and now the angel speaks to him. In verse 20, the angel says, This Joseph, son of David, do not fear. And usually in the Bible, when somebody says do not fear, it's because somebody has fear. <laughs> like, they are scared. They are, they are like terrified. And the angel's like, hey, do not fear. 
it's going to be okay. The angel told Mary the same thing. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, now why would Joseph be afraid? Joseph's not the one that's pregnant. Joseph's not the one that's going to be looked at as someone who did something wrong. Well, that's not true. He's betrothed to Mary. If he goes out and marries Mary, and if he goes out and walks with her and hangs out with her and they're seen together and people know that they're betrothed and they didn't have sex with each other, so how is she pregnant? Guess what, guess what he fears? He fears the public shame he's going to have every single day. He fears literally every reputation that's going to be said about him for the rest of his entire life. That wherever he goes, he's going to be seen as a fool by everybody. They'll accuse him of malign. He'll be viewed as stupid or dumb for his decisions that he made. You know, I think about Joseph's situation, it sounds a lot like the Christian life. Can we be honest? Like, none of us are comfortable with people's perceptions of us or what people say about us, people's commenting about us, people gossiping about us, people harassing us, people making fun of us because we are Christians and we believe in a God that we cannot see. Of course, it's easy to make fun of us. Of course, it's easy to shame us, to have faith in a God, to heal of us something. That, that, that doctors say there's no hope. How, how can you not make fun of somebody? How can you not look down upon somebody like that? But you know what got Joseph through that? The rest of verse 20 says this. Do not fear. Take Mary as your wife for that she is conceived from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you just call him named Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. He had fear because of what was going to be said about him if he marries this person that he's been dating and betrothed to. But then he gets to Jesus. And he's a, he realized that he's a part of something special. He's a part of something big. That God has a plan to save humanity. And God is inviting Joseph into that plan. And so guess what? He's like, whoa, this is huge. This is big. Forget what people are saying. God is bringing heaven to earth and using me. And so when you have fear, you know how you fight that fear? You have eternal perspective. You know what I mean? I don't think about the temporary. I don't think about what people are saying about me, all the harm that's coming to me because Jesus said, it's going to come, so prepare. People are going to harass you on Facebook for what you value, for how you vote, for who you believe in, for who you worship, because you read the Bible, because the Bible does not align with what culture is trying to push. Get ready because it's coming. But here's the thing. Think about the mission. We're not here to make friends and, and to please people. We are here that people will know that there's a savior named Jesus and the gospel is for everybody. And all we have to do is surrender. And if we surrender, we are saved from our sins. Instead of going to hell, we go to heaven. It's the gospel, it's the mission we're dying for. And all of us at some point on a Sunday, raise our hand, not because we forced you, because you felt, I need Jesus and I'm all in on this mission. My friends need Jesus, my family needs Jesus. And so forget what people are saying, focus on the mission. Eternal perspective, what I'm doing is not temporary. What I'm doing is eternal perspective, meaning that people are not realizing that there's heaven. For all, there's eternity at the stake that we are going to spend eternity somewhere. Why not heaven? Why not accept the free gift of Jesus? So don't let the fear of what people say about you, of how you, how you run your family on Christian values, on putting them in Christian schools, on having conservative, godly values. Don't apologize. 
you, you, you stand by the conviction of the Word of God and you take the punches as you go and know that Jesus will be with you every step of the way. And so when you have fear, and all of us are going to have fear, recall His faithfulness. How did God save you by grace? What prayers has God answered in your past? And what troubles has He rescued from? Put yourself in those positions again. Yeah, He did it in the past, but He's doing it in the present, and He's going to do it in the future. So don't fear. God is with you. Third and final thing. He did as the Lord commanded. Verse 24 says, Joseph woke up from his sleep. That general anesthesia work went off. God did heart surgery on Joseph, and now he's awake, and his eyes can see clearly. And look what he says. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed what God told him to do through the angel. He wakes up, and instead of going through with the divorce quietly, he says, I'm going to choose to make Mary my wife. And listen, he didn't doubt or waver. Once he heard the truth, he obeyed. Now, here's the thing. This is an awesome little story, right? You're like, obedience is so cool. Man, look at Joseph. I want to obey like that. I want to, I want to reap the blessings of obedience. And here's the thing. Fine print. Be warned. Obedience to God doesn't omit your problems. Just because you obey doesn't mean that something the next day or in a couple weeks you're going to get rewarded with something. That's not how it works. Your problems may still be there because they were for Joseph. He obeyed, and we celebrate that. Obedience, Joseph, what an example. You're a man of God. You're a just man. You're a righteous man. Incredible. But guess what? He still had to look his neighbors in his eye with a pregnant wife. He still had a reputation. He was still going to get gossiped about. He was going to get odd looked when he goes to the supermarket. He was now marked for the rest of his life of somebody who married somebody who had an affair with him. To the, to the unseeing eye, to not, to, for us that know the plan of God, for those that don't, that's what they see. That's what they believe. So how can Joseph obey? How can Joseph live with no fear? How can Joseph do this in spite of what's coming his way? It's because he had assurance. He had assurance that this child that he was going to raise, the Son of God would overcome the power of shame, the power of sin, and the fear that holds us back. And so every outlook that Joseph would get, all he would have to do is look at the son that God gave him and say, hey, this guy is a reminder of what God brought me into. This guy is a reminder that Jesus is not going to pay for just the world's sins, but my sins too, that God allowed me to be in this plan. So forget what people are saying. I got assurance. This child is going to save humanity, and I play a small part in that, that God would allow me, a sinner, to play a part in God's upbringing. He's a living testimony to God's faithfulness, to the love he has for us. And this is not going to be easy. What, what we see from Joseph's story, the reality is doing the right thing in life is not always easy. Being a Christian is not always easy. Going against the grain is not always easy. And guess what? You're not, you may not get recognized for it. You may not get rewarded for it. And people may think you're stupid for being a Christian. And that's okay. Because when we're afraid of social shame, when we're afraid of losing out, do this. Allow the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for your life, for your family, to shape the way you think, the way you love, and the direction of your everyday life. And I promise you, though there's trials that come in your life, as long as you stay close to Jesus, you'll have peace that surpasses all understanding. You'll have comfort for your soul that you've never experienced through a drug or a relationship. I promise you this. If you make everything about Jesus, the decisions, the way you love, the way you live everyday life 
When storms come, when trials come, you could be like Joseph and you can respond well. You won't live in fear and you can obey God knowing that on the other side of that obedience, God is with you every single day. And we can put our faith in that. Why don't we stand up to our feet as we wrap up service? See, I love that the story of Christmas isn't cookie cutter. It's not the Charlie Brown special. It's, it's messy. It's dramatic. There's tension. I mean, there's literally a divorce about to happen before Jesus is born. But, but I love it. It's, it's, it shows the humanity of God. That God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to humble himself from the son of God to now the son of these earthly parents to be born in a manger where horses are fed, where pigs sleep, not in a palace, not in a kingdom, not in a fortress, but in a low place. Our savior, our king, who we worship every Sunday, every day of our life, that's where he was born. To show you he will go any length for you to be saved. He'll do whatever it takes for you to find salvation. That your life matters. That your, your future matters. That your voice matters. That you matter to Jesus so much. This is the route he took. See, maybe you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus was born, as we read, through Joseph and Mary. Grows up to be a man and ultimately his plan. Why he was born? He was born to die. He was put on this planet to be as a baby, then grow up to be a child, then grow up to be a teen, and then grow up to be a man. And ultimately, at the age of 30, he starts his ministry. He heals people. He teaches people. He, he shares us wisdom. He does cast out demons. He does all these things to teach us, to show us. But ultimately, what he was here to do was to die on that cross. Because here's the thing. You and I were sinners. When, when Adam and Eve fell, sin entered the world. So now when we are born, we are born into sin. You can't fight it. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And here's the thing. Doesn't matter how good of a person you are. Doesn't matter how much you get the charity. Doesn't matter how nice you are. That sin will always be in your life without Jesus. You're not powerful. You, you, you can't do anything about it. It's impossible except through the blood of Jesus. And because Jesus loves every single one of us, he said, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to take Phil's place because sin is supposed to lead to death. Sin was supposed to put us on that cross metaphorically and Jesus says no I'm, I'm going to trade spots with you so Jesus born as a baby grows up the man ends up on that cross hands and feet nailed a crown of thorns put on his head to make fun of him he was abandoned he was humiliated he was beaten he was stripped naked alone on that cross Jesus was thinking about you and me and how we will never have to experience this if we receive his love that we'll never be touched by death that eternal perspective, we have heaven, we're not, this body is temporary, but I have a new body in heaven and I have salvation for my soul and I'm not going to hell and I have a plan for salvation. That's what Jesus can give us. Jesus dies on that cross, they get his body, they put it in a tomb for three days, Jesus is dead. On the third day, the Bible tells us they go to look for Jesus' body, it's not there. And it was a sign that he defeated sin, he, de he did the impossible, he defeated death. And all we have to do is receive the free gift, it's free, because Jesus paid for it already. It's the free gift of salvation. All we have to do is put our trust in Him. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and trust in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And today, that's what I want us to do. With every eye closed, every head bowed, it's a moment of privacy. 
you wanna accept Jesus, you wanna have forgiveness of your sins, you wanna receive the greatest gift known to mankind, that your life will change today, immediately, the moment Jesus enters it. I don't know what plans he has for you, but they're better than anything you have in your mind. But first, he's gotta save you from your sins. You're saying, Phil, that's me. I've been running, I've been doing things on my own. I've been trying to, I've been trying to do the right things, Phil, but it doesn't work out, and I just need help, and I'm tired. Today you can have a brand new beginning of a brand new hope. What I want to do is give you an opportunity if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hands and don't worry, I'm not going to put a mic in your face. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is between you and Jesus. But just know that decision that you're making will free you from your sin, give you, a he give you heaven as your home. But now you can leave here refreshed knowing that sin no longer has power over you. So if that's you, on the count of three, you lift up your hand. One, two, three, if you want to accept Jesus for the very first time. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. Awesome. Awesome. You can put your hands down. We're going to celebrate you in the moment, but if you raise your hand, we want to lead you in a prayer. And church, it's a repeat after me prayer, and we do this every single Sunday. And this is an awesome moment. This is you talking to Jesus. This is you making a decision that will mark your life forever. I know if I put, I put the mic in so many people's hands, they made the same decision, their life has never been the same. That's about to happen for you right now. So pray this strong, talk to Jesus. He's so ready to change your life. It goes like this, Lord Jesus, I open up my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I thank you and I love you. And everybody said, come on, let's celebrate every single hand that went up. It's the best decision of your entire life. We truly believe that. And here's what we want to do. We don't do this just because it's Christmas, but we do this every single Sunday. We want to give you a gift. We want to make this day special for you. So after service, we have amazing Dream Team members that want to give you this gift. Inside of it, there's a free coffee voucher. There's a notebook. There's a pen. There's some next step information. There's a Bible. Here's the thing. It's all free. Thanks to everybody's generosity here at Calvary. We can give so many gift bags for free and no strings attached. Like next Sunday, we're not going to be like, hey, you owe us five bucks. Like that's not, that's not what we're going to do. Like this is a free gift. So before you head out, make sure you get one of these gifts get it in your hand it's going to be a blessing to your life truly believe that and so church let's give our hands let's give a hand one more time for all those hands that went up hey this christmas season and beyond let's remember that we are called to think different than the world we're called to live different than the world we're called to have different decisions in the world that we look like Jesus every single day, even when it's hard, even when we're not perfect, even when we mess up, that we would respond to trials in the right way, that we would learn to consider, that we would learn not to the other side, God is with us and for us. So I pray that you have an amazing, amazing day. I'm going to pray for your week and then we're going to sing one more time. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your word that teaches us. Thank you for your word that challenges us. Thank you for your word that matures us. And I pray, God, that we will learn from Joseph to be somebody who makes the right decisions following after you, God. So Lord, we ask that you bless us this week. Bless our families. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Let's worship one more time.